HiISO is sponsored by SLR Lounge. Use code HiISO to get 10% off SLR Lounge premium memberships for access to over 30 workshops, 1,500 lessons, templates for sample contracts, emails, and more. Visit slrlounge.com. You can also use the high ISO code to get 10% off the Visual Flow preset pack for Lightroom. Visual Flow is a lighting condition-based approach to image processing. Whether you're in hard light, on a multicolored dance floor, or under fluorescent lighting, you'll get a consistent look and style with Visual Flow presets. Visit vfpresets.com. Welcome to High ISO, the photography and business podcast, where we talk about life as a professional photographer. I'm Robert Hall, an editorial photographer from Michigan. And I'm Justin Haugen, a wedding and portrait photographer from Arizona. What's going on, Justin? I'm just sitting here with a TENS unit strapped to my back because I am suffering majorly from back pain. I don't know how I did it. It wasn't anything heroic. At this point in my life, this is 36. I turn 37 next month. Uh, you don't throw your back out doing anything heroic like lifting lifting heavy weights. I throw my back out from tying my shoes too quickly or getting off the toilet too fast. And uh, last week I went for a run and it just progressively got worse. So all week I haven't been able to work out. I've been really struggling and I've been in a lot of pain. So I've got one of those electric tens units that you slap uh, like two connecting points on any part of your body like muscles and it tenses you up. So if you hear me tensing up it's because I have it on max power and it keeps. Yeah, it's it's working me right now. <laughs> We're going to start this podcast after you mention that, and then people are going to have no idea why you start making these random noises in, <laughs> in the podcast. That's, that's how I'm going to manipulate this episode in post. <laughs> I'm just going to make weird noises <laughs> to hold it. It's going to be like, geez, what is wrong with Justin today? <laughs> you know, that's funny. Um, Alex might actually be able to use that, something that nobody knows. Part of the intro song, part of the drum kit sound is one of our coughs. He, he just like sampled one of our coughs and I think he used it for like a hi-hat or a snare. It's probably me. I make all the noises on the show. Like I've been listening to our episodes <laughs> that are airing right now and I'm either coughing or making sneezes, sneezes or or like I, I notice that I make a lot of like gum flapping noises when I talk and I'm like, wow, am I, I sound like I'm eating gummy bears when I talk on the podcast. Oh, see, I... I started learning how to avoid making those noises because in my YouTube videos, if I would go on like a really long tangent, I would have this awesome like 60 second clip. And I was like, yeah, I'm finally talking without having to restart the clip four times and you know, go through these lines multiple times. And the thing that was constantly in them was these like clucking of mouth or like deep breaths in between sentences. And so I started learning how to like actually pace myself so that I wasn't taking these deep inhales on mic as well as just kind of omitting those mouth noises. Part of it's mic positioning though. If you have your mic down, um, pointed upwards at you, you're more likely to get those gum flapping gum noises than you are if you have your mic above you pointed downward. All right. Mine is definitely pointed upward at my, at my mouth, but I don't <laughs> want to move it for sake of noise. But uh, yeah, I'm um, I'm pro I keep hearing those noises and it drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, that's like the thing about recording yourself is you realize like all the you get to shine a spotlight on all these tiny little things that you do. And it's really irritating when you when you first come. I, I don't know what happens. You either manipulate them until they're like out of 
out of what you do, you know, such as thinking noises. I don't do that as much anymore. I'm not always saying, uh, in between every sentence like I used to. I don't know if that happens or you just learn to live with it and you say, screw it. I think I'm at a point now where I just accept my voice for how much I'm going to hate it forever. So I don't try to correct it anymore. I just know I, I sound like this. I talk like this and I, I think there's things I can improve, but then I definitely don't like, I'm not as critical about how I sound like in my head, it sounds deeper, but when I hear it back in recording, my voice is two octaves higher. I didn't know I was a falsetto. <laughs> I thought I was more of a baritone, but I was wrong. Jared Gant has the best bass boost in his voice. Like when I hear him talk on microphone, like he he joins our Zoom chats with his microphone set up professionally, hey. and yeah, it's so much deeper from his his mic setup than it is from uh, than from his uh, his la- uh, microphone on his laptop. That's my my buddy Chad. He's a he's a tall, lean Asian fellow that just has the most perfect voice for radio it's ridiculous i'm just like ever since i started recording myself i'm just like you're the one that needs to be on making videos making podcasts talking sharing that voice with other people because it is just amazing instead you get us two people who can't properly cut off s's yeah i wish um i had a voice for radio but at least i have a face for radio or a face for tv it's a saying (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I drove you got to, a face for radio. Yeah. I, I think I have a face for TV and a voice for radio. <laughs> no, I have a voice for <laughs> talking every day and a, and a face for TV. But Oh my God, that was awkward. Are you calling yourself attractive or not? <laughs> yeah. I'm calling myself attractive. I'm good looking. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm like, I don't know if he's being self depreciating or talking about how handsome he is. No, I'm talking myself up. You're, you're the Jason Statham of this operation and I'm the rock. Oh, I'll take, I'll take that. So Last episode that we did, at least like the last recent episode that we recorded was at the beginning, near the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. And we also released it like way later to the point where by the time we released it, I was kind of like, I'm not sure I even share any of the beliefs that I I had on this original episode. So I was kind of wondering with where you're at now, which we hope to release this episode much quicker to its recording date of May 26th. What's changed for you? What like how do you feel different? What's different in your community? All of that. Let's just try to sum it up based on our last episode about the coronavirus. Yeah, I feel like COVID nineteen response, like how we react to it, is on a spectrum. And if one side of the spectrum is completely worried about health and and public safety, and the other end of the spectrum is worried about economic growth and stability, then I'm firmly somewhere in the middle, and it and I fluctuate based on how I'm feeling in, at any point in the day. Like it depends on what news I read that morning or some a conversation I may have had. But I I flip flop where sometimes I'm way paranoid about the protocols of interacting with people in the new norms as far as like wearing a mask and and you know washing your hands constantly and those are things i did already like as far as washing my hands and i when i traveled i wore a mask when i flew people looked at me funny but um i've been on flights where people next to me got sick like a friend next to me got sick on the way back from a trip and i didn't so i don't call coincidence but who knows but i'm i flip-flop and and i think i'm firmly in the middle i feel I feel like I'm getting to this point where I'm ready to see things open up. And I realize that like in all things in life, we are complicit in our own risk. So, you know, if you leave the house and cross the street, you're complicit in the risk of maybe you could get hit by a vehicle if you're not paying attention. There's so so many ways to die. And I feel that the way the world is now, the way things are looking where we need to open up the economy and get people earning and making money again, 
I think maybe we just get to the poor, it's the point now where we allow people to take part in their own risk. So if you're a business that ha wants to open up at full capacity and have patrons come into your restaurant, for example, and you're the kind of person who's comfortable going into a restaurant full of people, then I think you should be complicit in your own risk and you should be allowed to do that. If you're a business that wants to open up at half capacity and you're the kind of person who only wants to go to a restaurant operating at half capacity, those two people are meant for each other. And then the people who won't open their businesses due to public safety concerns and the people who won't even go to a place of business because of those concerns, they are complicit in their own risk and uh, the precautions they're taking. So I think in those scenarios, everybody gets to win because they all get exactly what they wanted and what they're willing to take risk in. And if we flatten the curve and had any success in that, shouldn't it be time for people to, uh, you know, is our healthcare system ready f to take on a greater burden? if that was the whole point of flattening the curve. So that's where I'm at with it all. I, I feel like it's, at least here in Arizona, where we didn't get hit like everyone else did, I think it might be time to open up fully. Yeah. So I'm kind of, we're in a similar boat right now because we have about as many new cases as Arizona did today. Our seven-day average is a little bit higher than you guys, but Michigan has come a long way from where we were initially positioned as I believe we were all the way up at like the sixth worst state. And now we are, I think, around nine and trending downward, whereas other states are are trending upward still and, and surpassing us. So Michigan was like a early and strong in their response. And we had a really in-depth shelter at home place in order very early. And we've also been very hesitant to to come out of that. And we've, you know, attained national spotlight for how people in the state are handling that. Right now, we, we're looking at June 12th as our shelter at home expiring, but really, who knows? Because it just, every time we get within a week, it just gets delayed further. But I really don't see a case for us being able to maintain the shelter, shelter, um, shelter at home order beyond into June because we're already, you know, back where we were before this pandemic really broke out. So I'm hoping and thinking that we can get back to work. I think we need to start looking at this more as a, as a personnel issue. Like we need to start worrying about who's out, not necessarily looking at it just as a population issue, like dense areas are, and shelter at home. No, I think we need to worry about like high risk people staying at home, whereas the other people can kind of like pick up the pieces of our economy because there is obviously this huge fallout with our economy, as well as the health issues that are arising because of people dealing with the damaged economy, you know, like suicide rates going up and homelessness going up, that type of thing. So yeah, I, I think at this point, like some a majority of people, at least where we're at, uh, should be going back to work with proper precautions and um, the people who are at high risk should kind of self-police. And again, just like you said, manage their own risk. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think this means that, and, and I don't, I'm not on the side of like, there is nothing to worry about. There's plenty to worry about uh, it. You know, mm -hmm. the number, the numbers might seem low in certain areas until it affects somebody close to you. And then, and then what, you know, if, it, until you have somebody, I know people who I have a friend who lost a mother and, you tell that person that they that they you know, none of this mattered, you know, and that that the everyone's gonna you know get through this. Like you can't tell everyone's different until the, everyone is affected unaffected until it affects them. 
we're going to continue to see people who feel like there is no risk until it affects somebody close to them. And then it's going to get real and it's going to hurt them in a way that they wish they had taken better precautions. Uh, but we're at also at a point now at the end of this month, I think June, we're going to start to see people who took forbearance uh, plans with their arrangements with their lenders and with their rent, uh, with the people they rent from. We're going to see that stuff um, starting to expire and uh, rents due and uh, mortgages are due. And I think I think in June, July, we're going to see a big spike in evictions and people who are uh, foreclosing on their on their home loans. And that's all going to start happening because nobody's been working for going on three months now. How do we get around that? That stimulus at twelve hundred dollars that that was nice, but I don't know. That's not enough, you know. And, and hopefully enough people got the um, the added uh, the bonus uh, unemployment benefits to help them make through this time. I know some people who are on that, especially in the in the uh, food and entertainment industry. But who knows how many people didn't apply for that stuff or didn't qualify for it? And now, what's going to happen at the end of all this time? We're going to see record record evictions and record uh, foreclosures. Yeah, and that just turns into like a steamroll into like more people being depressed, more people unable to get a job because they don't have like the home requirements to get back and forth. I imagine a lot of people sacrifice their vehicles before they sacrifice their home as well. It's just going to have this huge fallout, that kind of domino effects from, you know, the, the initial loss of property or being behind on a bill. So you're right. We still haven't seen much of, of what's going to happen long term due to our economy being put on pause for three months. This makes me think about something that I posted way back at the beginning of the coronavirus. I was scrolling around on Reddit, and this is when stay-at-home orders have, have really just kind of taken off. Most of the country has adopted them. Somebody was talking about, on Reddit, going out and, and photographing their community. And... To me, at that time, it seemed extremely irresponsible. The idea that you would go out explicitly to like take photos to like document your community situation. I, I, I had a rather toxic reply to it where I was like, nobody needs your photos in, in this area. Nobody, you know, there, there are dedicated people out there that are, are still working for the press. Like it's still being captured. You also have people who still have to go out every day and are capturing the empty roads. The capturing of these empty communities is going to happen whether you go out and take that walk explicitly to take photos or not, document your city. I was actually quite surprised that I got a lot of downvotes on it and like and negative reactions to it. And I, I think it was getting like pressed both ways, but the majority ended up in the red or whatever. And I kind of came back to it like a month later. I was just like, thinking about it again, I came back to it and I just realized how hostile I was at, at that period. And I kind of deleted it, but not really due to a change of opinion. Like I still thought eh, there's no reason for you to be out there. You, you don't need to go out and take these photos. Now at the end of it, and, and because of something else that's happened that I'm about to get into, it's kind of making me think how important those type of photos are. So I guess before, before I jump into like what really recently made me have a change of heart of that. Like, what do you think about something like that? Do you think that people should be out photographing, go out specifically to photograph community travels to new places, or not new places, but travel to places that they wouldn't normally be in during a pandemic to go capture their community because it is a point in their history? Yeah, I, I think I would have 
had a similar comment to yours originally, but it's funny how a little bit of time to stew on things and a little bit of time to see what actually is going on in our communities. And I'm, you know, I'm out in the world more than like my parents are, for example, they stay home all the time and do only essential trips. But, you know, I had coffee today with a friend, a photographer friend, uh, before I drove back home to Tucson. And, you know, like the new norm is, is, you know, people six feet away from each other. Tables are all spaced out. I wasn't sitting anywhere near anyone, near anyone. And I, my server had a mask on and I feel, I feel comfortable in that environment because I've done enough shopping at grocery stores and following all those guidelines. And, and as far as I understand, I haven't been infected yet and knock on wood. Gosh, that's like the worst like famous last words. Um, but I, hmm. I, I've hey, Rudy, grown, yeah, I've grown comfortable uh, in the environment that's going on around me and, and that I can participate in it under these these restrictions and these guidelines to where, you know, even, you know, here it, it's like someone could easily be in another state impacted heavily by what's going on and they could tell me I'm an idiot for going to coffee with a friend today. Is it worth your, worth your health? Whereas from my perspective here, we're dealing with a a um, governor who's allowed these guidelines to be in place for us to slowly reopen life. And I'm being complicit in my own risk. So, uh, you know, the only thing I can control is staying away from people close to me who are high risk. I don't, I, I, when I see my mom and dad, it's from 10 feet away and maybe I drop something off to them that they need or vice versa. And we don't hug. I haven't hugged my mom and dad in three months. And that's insane to me, but that's the only risk that I can really mitigate that I can control. And so, uh, I probably would have responded the same way you did to that post initially. And I think now that I've had a chance to stew on it, I'm getting more lax in my ideas. Like I was really harsh on um, on porch sessions at first. And now that I'm looking at it, I think I would like right now, that's not a risk to me. Like that's not as big of a risk. I think it's okay to be out doing a porch session now. It Maybe I thought it was tacky and I was... Uh, pushing my own ideas on it. I hate to see tropes. I hate to see things become tropes. And like, mm-hmm. I don't want everyone to start following a trend because something went crazy on viral on Buzzfeed. And now everyone's got to do porch sessions. You're the George R.R. R. Martin of like photography world. Is that what he's known tropes. for? Yeah. Oh, is yeah. that what he's known for? I had no yeah, idea. Get rid of, get rid of the rosy, the rosy stories and, and talk about how people really can be. I didn't know. I'm not, a, I'm not well versed on him outside of actually just watching game of Thrones, but um, I, I like that idea. Yeah, I just don't like jumping on to, to tropes. I don't like uh, trends. I don't. But, you know, you kind of you're aware of them. But I think it's great to be aware of them so you can maybe buck those trends and not not um, participate in them. And I, I just you know, I find it corny. Uh, but people have success with those kind of things and people ask for them. And right now, maybe that's that, that's OK to do it. Like, I don't think there's much risk in that. And I don't, I don't think there's much risk just being out in the world and photographing people from even you know, even within six feet from from them. I don't think there's any risk. I don't feel like there's a great risk to be out in public um, if people are spaced out and depending on what environment you choose to participate in, the risk isn't as as severe as it is where maybe you go to Daytona beach and everybody's having uh, a rager and they're all like swimming in water, like, you know, within, you know, arms reach of each other. That's a totally different scenario. Yeah. I saw that photo of a uh, pool in the Ozarks of Missouri and people just packed. It looked like spring break. Uh, yeah. But like, you know yeah, what they do I definitely though. wouldn't be there. <laughs> yeah. But you know, they throw a, throw a 600 millimeter lens and, and photograph it for one end of the lake lake. And it looks like everybody's on top of each other. So there could no, be no, no, better no, spacing no, no, going not on. This but, pool. 
Oh, okay. All Not right. This they pool. were like this, this pool was like a 28 millimeter iPhone video, and the pool Ew. was packed. I mean, absolutely packed. Um, but again, you know, I don't know what that specific community is like. There's probably a lot of people running there due to loose restrictions because it's, you know, a little bit further south, not quite a populous area. And because it's the, you know, first week of summer, people are, people yeah. are, want their lives back or ready for their summer life, the real vacation, you know? So I, I understand like in Michigan, they opened up a lot of the restrictions on 32 out of 38 of the counties because it's really six of the counties that are facing the real challenging issues. It's really six of the counties that have the population density where, you know, going out to the store becomes an issue. Mm -hmm. The rest of the state is woods and lakes, you know, it's not really um, these crowded communities. So people's property, you know, it's not unheard of to have a hundred acres if you live up in central Michigan. So People having having that space, I think that that came at a timely um, opening due to the holiday weekend. Our governor not wanting to completely like you know ruin summer on people and taking another look at how these uh, wider communities would be less affected. So uh, I'm glad to see that that opened up. I'm not judging all that stuff as harshly as I was previously. Like I, I think I think spring break culture and that type of environment that's always existed. We've always made fun of it as a nation. Like Girls Gone Wild, remember that stuff back in the day? Like that whole spring break culture of just getting boozed up and um, all the like reckless activity that goes on around it that always exists. And yolo culture, yeah, I wouldn't expect it to go away even now, uh, despite those risks. So it it looked there's a greater magnifying glass on that behavior now. But I'm I'm kind of I don't I'm at a point now where I don't want to spend any more energy judging anybody's motives and the risks that they are complicit in. So that's a whole group of people complicit in their own risk and I'm not participating in it. And I'm, I'm kind of through judging it. Like it's, it's low hanging fruit at this point. And there's other issues that we can talk about too. I've completely had a change of thought on that initial post. We kind of derailed there a little bit. I know it was all on topic, but it just got to increasing depth. But the, the reason that I brought that up is because there's a whole nother issue that was, facing Michigan this week. And um, I don't know if this is like national news. I know you sent me a message asking me if I was underwater. So obviously you had heard about it somewhere. Um, but Mich Central Michigan about a week ago had two massive dams that failed and that led to flooding. And basically one dam failed that led to flooding in one area and then over overpowered another dam and then that would release the water and all of a sudden the whole entire flood moves down a community down river and this kind of had this domino effect where it affected multiple communities basically the same flood the same amount of water kept on going through different communities as it moved south along a river and it, i mean we're talking 10,000 plus people evacuated we're talking people with um, nine feet of water either in their house or outside their house, completely obstructing all these roads. And a lot of my family, either like my parents have a second home in that area. Um, my extended family is all up there permanently. That, that's their main home. And so when I first got the call, I hadn't seen anything about this happening online. Um, I got first got the call as my mom telling me that, you know, there's there's a flood, there's there's some water in the home. 
And I was just kind of like, it's not surprising that there that a little bit of water gets closer to your house when you live off of a lake, right? And and so you kind of expect these issues to arise time after time. And then I went online and started looking. She was like, "Can you just like let us know what's going on?" She also didn't have a significant amount of urgency in her voice, or immediately asked me to come up there or help or anything like that, which I felt she would do if it was serious. And then I went online and I started looking at the pictures. The pictures of the dam exploding, the pictures of the lake that I'm normally around this time of year flying around on a jet ski or a pontoon um, being completely barren, pictures of my family members' houses with what looked like waist-level water outside their windows, um, pictures of other people's houses. I mean, it, it was just the the complete change after I had the visual understanding of what was going on in my head, like I immediately knew, oh my God, this is, this is absolutely serious. Like this is like life shattering shit that's happening to these people right now. That completely changed my tone. I had to talk to her immediately again. Are you guys okay? Can I come up there? Does anybody else need help? What's the other family members doing? You know, uh, it, it just completely changed my attitude. So I started thinking and, and reflecting back on on what I said about the lack of necessity of those pictures. And granted, this is this is a different situation. This is somebody's home being destroyed versus nobody being on the streets. The point remains that the pictures are are what prompted more action from me because they helped me understand with greater clarity um, the severity of the situation. A, it just got me back onto thinking, yeah, these pictures are important. Yes, people should be out documenting what's happening because it can completely tell a different story um, or or explain the severity of a situation in a way that sometimes and often words just can't do. Obviously lands on me because I'm able to visually understand things like compression and distortion and really see how bad something is because of a situation, because of my understanding of photography. A non-photographer is going to understand more with a picture than they are with words alone. And that kind of completely rebuilt up this idea of me of just how important photos are. It's such an interesting time in history right now because there is so much uh, access to the equipment, to the tools to make, to either document or photograph or video, anything that's going on in your community. And we used to rely on the media to be our gatekeeper to this information, uh, the you know photojournalists and the journalists who were covering these kind of stories. And now there, everyone has the potential to be a reporter. And frequently you see the news relying on people who just pr- send over cell phone video coverage or, or pictures that they took to the news stations directly. And you're getting, we're crowdsourcing all of these, all of these events through the eyes of people, all the boots on the ground. And, um, it's, I don't know if that's good or bad. Like, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I think in a way we're getting, we're getting an unfiltered look at the news from the eyes of people who are seeing it without, I think that's probably maybe even the purest form of news reportage, if you may, and, uh, versus, versus, uh, a journalist while they're supposed to be ethical. I can't help but think that, you know, everybody's got some form of personal bias that might come be portrayed uh, through the storytelling that they choose to do. So um, I don't know. There's probably two sides to that, and and there's a higher ethical standard in the fo- journalist community. But then I'd like to think that on um, at some level, just some random guy recording a thing and sharing a thing might be even less biased information. 
or maybe it's not. I don't know. I find it interesting that you went there because the final thing, the one thing I kind of wanted to land on at the end of this is are we are we more important than than all the randomness that's taking place? And this is specifically in, in a journalistic approach. But are people better, like just random people, better at documenting the reality of a situation because they lack a bias? And you brought something up before about the compression. And mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it, there's a, there's a fantastic article out there. Uh, if I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes, where it shows how a photographer would utilize things like a longer shooting distance, therefore a longer lens to compress groups of people to tell, to accompany a story that was about how people still don't give each other personal space and they're, you know, disobeying stay at home orders or shelter in place orders or social distancing orders. And then they also showed like a standard pullback. They were closer in on the action using a wider angle lens. And therefore you see the reality of the space in between people. And one of the big things about having everybody having a phone in their pocket that takes adequate photos is most people are taking photos at 28 millimeters, right? They're taking Mm -hmm. 28 millimeters is like the fixed focal length without any type of optical zoom. Um, That's where most people are, are taking their little snapshots that they're sharing with other people. And we've kind of even become conditioned. I know when I pull out my phone, it's kind of changed a little bit now with portrait modes and second cameras with longer lenses. But I know when I pull out my camera phone about what field of view I'm going to have before I'm even looking at the display. I I just kind of wonder if going back (laughs) to that original Reddit post, do we need people to like explicitly go out and take these photos anymore if if the rest of the world is already capturing it with with no bias? Uh, I I don't think I'll ever come to a, an absolute conclusion on that because I see a need for um, people to, you know, I feel a, there is a need for the media. There is a need for journalism and photojournalism, uh, especially the kind of people who embed themselves into situations that the average person wouldn't, uh, maybe war zones or um, in the middle of crisis, yes. because, you know, if the average person is trying to survive, they might not be, you know, holding an iPhone up to record their escape from a flood or, you know, so you, you might you might need somebody willing to take on that risk and embed themselves in the middle of those situations. But yeah, the, the bias part of it really drives me crazy because it's a dangerous tool. Perspective and perspective is everything. I, I, I saw that photo of that one guy in the, you know, you guys had the the protests in the city hall or the Capitol in, in Michigan. Yeah. And there was a guy who, if you if you look at that photo, nine times out of ten, you're going to think that guy is yelling in directly in the face and mouth of the of the police officer wearing the mask. And the man is not wearing the mask and he's yelling and it looks like he's yelling right at him. But if you really if you understand perspective and you understand um, the the uh, foreshortening that's going on and where he's where he's placed in the frame. I'm positive that guy is yelling at the space between that police officer and the guy next to him. And he's probably yelling into the space behind them. It doesn't, it, to me, it doesn't look like he's yelling at, directly at the police officer. And that's a powerful image. And that guy is probably not happy about how that image got portrayed in the news. Uh, but that's like, that's the power of perspective. If the average viewer sees that photo and it incites the emotion of, Oh, look at this idiot yelling in the face of a cop, you know, then it's successful in its mission and it's swaying the thoughts of people who view it. Whereas if you look at it 
objectively and you understand what's actually going on, the photography and the space and the timing of that image, he's really just yelling. I mean, yeah, both of those situations aren't a good look uh, given given the circumstances, mm-hmm. but it's still it's still like one one idea speaks louder than the other idea. Uh, and there's also it makes me think of um, there's a there's a clip of. Kobe playing defense on an inbounds with Matt Barnes. Um, he's uh he's faking the ball, like in, inbounding the ball, and he and he directly he, yeah he pump fakes it directly in Kobe's face. But if you watch a different angle or you, or you read the story, he wasn't pump faking it in his face. It looked like he was pump faking it because of the camera, the the compression from the camera lens used at the time. It looked like he's putting it right in his face, and Kobe doesn't flinch. But if you watch it from a different angle, Kobe didn't flinch because the ball wasn't going anywhere near his face. So perspective is everything. It's amazing what you can do with with an angle, with a a set amount of distance, with having more distance, or just room to choose your distance can make all the difference. Even things like music and audio can completely change something. Uh, let's just go with another NBA reference. I don't know if I share this with you. I know I posted it on Instagram, but there was a a video clip I saw of. Do you remember the point guard Darren Williams? Yeah. He's tall enough to dunk, but not exactly like an uh, authoritative dunker. But he's he's making a drive, and there's this close-up on him, and there's like intense music playing, and he goes up for the dunk, and then Amari Stoudemire, I'm sure you know who that is, mm-hmm. lifts him, like takes both of his hands. His, Amari Stoudemire is on, his de- on the defense, not the same team. Lifts him up with both hands on his midsection, just grabs his waist and lifts him up about a foot above the rim so that he can just like slam it down. <laughs> and I saw this and I was like, what that was this like the last 30 seconds of like a trash blowout or something that Amari Stoudemire was just like, whatever, you know, and there's like this intense music playing in the drive and the point guard is like, you know, he's got intensity on his face. Like the whole time I was like, how did this happen in game? And I never seen it. So then I looked up the real clip because I'm just wondering how this exists. And it was like after a foul call, like he got, he got followed out at the three point line and just continued to drive. And then Amari just lifted him up anyways. But like the music, having that whistle gone and having this intense music put over it, I totally thought it was like completely in game at first until I did the research to realize that that wasn't the case at all. So it's amazing all these little visual or audio cues that were given to kind of sell a story in our head and how they can affect the way we interpret it. Think about the same clip and you've got the Benny Hill music going on, the you know, like put some dopey ass music on it and the context has completely changed. So we're so easily swayed yeah. like psychologically by suggestion, visually and even um, audi- audibly. I was kind of hoping to have clarity with your perspective and I intentionally didn't didn't talk to you in advance about any of any of what we've talked about today and I was hoping that we could possibly come to an agreement on on the importance of these things and I'm really trying to like chew just chew on this topic and think about where I land because I like this is an opinion I want formed in my head and I'm really having a difficult time deciding whether or not I think that uh, that that the people are, are the new journalists and, and that we don't need them as much. I completely agree with what you said about there being specific situations where 
the average person is not going to go. Whereas a journalist who that's their job, that's their calling, that's their passion, uh, that's their paycheck, they're going to put themselves in those situations and, and document them. But still, it's almost always with with some element of bias, even if it's just the the name of the publication that you work for and knowing what they stand for, you know, you're a, mm-hmm. you're probably a different photographer if you, if you shoot for Fox news or you shoot for the New York times. Yeah. I think I'm just overall, I'm, I'm such a skeptic of everything that I question every source of information. I question the, the leanings of the publication sharing it, the, the intent of the person taking the image. And that, that doesn't, that's not excused regardless if you're a photojournalist or you're just a guy on the street, you know, picking up a camera and photographing something you see. Uh, there's just, it's like in all things, like there is nothing there. There is nobody so perfectly altruistic that I can fully believe them. Everybody's motivated by their own intention and, and needs. And you'll just never have anybody who's unfailingly uh, moral or um, aligned with like a proper moral compass. Everybody has personal desire and will over their over their environment and situation. So uh, and everybody's stake in life is equally valid, you know, no matter what position you come from on something, whether your uh, thoughts are in opposition of somebody else's. Uh, unless it, it stands to take away from people and injure and hurt people. Like I don't, you know, I think if, if something that I want to believe in hurts somebody or takes something away from them, then I want, I will give the uh, better consideration to that. But I just think as a whole, because everything's run by man, by people that bias will never cease to exist. There will always be somebody's position on things. And as a result of that, I will always question it. And I will always, uh, I will always, uh, look at it from the skeptic's point of view, which is a very pessimistic way to look at life in general. But just if anything has this time has taught me right now is to look at things from more than one angle, because I can look at the way that I disagree with someone's feelings about what's going on right now and still come to an area where I, I compromise with what my own feelings because I can see it from someone else's perspective. So there's just a lot of ways to look at things. And, and journalism is one of them. And I don't feel like we're getting to where you wanted to get with this idea, <laughs> but okay. I think it's just giving me pause to look at the big picture in general. I'm so, I'm so, I feel every day I'm so affected by what's going on that it, it really is starting to bother me um, to the point where I, I removed Facebook's app from my phone because I got tired of, even if I wasn't engaging in it or I wasn't participating in sharing my own thoughts or making my own posts or commenting or arguing and getting into these battles with people about your feelings on what's going on. If I was reading it, it was affecting me negatively and I was giving real estate to people who didn't earn it from me. So why would I let some random person I went to high school with who said something that prompted an argument, why would I let that person affect me negatively and they didn't earn that. that? Who who deserves to earn such a place in your a foothold in your life that they that it affects you negatively to the point where you're upset about something during your day when you could have like read a book or spent more quality time with the people around you. So I deleted the app and it's funny because I keep getting looped back into conversations from people about, Hey, did you see that thing that <laughs> someone posted? And it, <laughs> yeah, I can't escape. It. Like you assholes. I'm, I'm trying to stay away from this shit. And then these people keep pulling me back into it and it's fine. It's like some of that stuff. It's, it's conversational. You know, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. You're not the only one though. Like, it, like my dad's pulled me back into some conversations about stuff that he's seen and, and it's, yeah, it's hard, but, um, I, for the, for the most part, I feel really, 
freed up from from the those feelings that I've been having. And I I think social media is just such a uh, it's such a weight on me daily, and I and I'm trying to get take in less of it. So I've gotten rid of some of that muscle memory of engaging with social media from my phone and I only hop on when I'm at my computer. So right now it's been three days. I've got like 70 notifications and a bunch of chat windows that I got to attend to at some point, but I don't miss it. I don't miss it at all. Oh man. It's a good thing. Our, our podcast isn't massively popular. Otherwise Facebook might take a pretty big hit today. It's a compelling <laughs> argument right. to get rid of it. Oh gosh, I know like, I, the, the platform yeah. that we share our show on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we share it on Facebook and Instagram, both of their properties. That's a that's a great move. Maybe hopefully they don't hear this. You make a compelling argument not only for like the the personal issues, but how we were saying about how you have to kind of vet your resources in order to have a more clear picture about their perspective, their goals, or their mission, whatever the whole purpose of of their entity, it becomes exhausting having to qualify your research. I mean, we're at a point where like you read an article and it might not be from a source you you read all the time. So you don't really know the position of it. Okay. Now you want to verify those facts. And so you go to verify the facts and well, now you're looking at what other places, like other new places to verify these facts. Okay. Are these credible sources? You go in this complete circle of of just verifying whether the initial thing that you read is even, you know, worth putting any weight into or believing or, you know, moving on. It's it's absolutely exhausting. And it really, if you are responsible with information and, and you're digging into everything before you start sharing it or or saying it again to somebody else, well, now all of a sudden how much of your time is is taken just by being able to relay that information like there there is this complete lack of trust in the media and it's not even like i don't look at media like with this whole like fake news lens of like everything they say is wrong like i I definitely look at some media as being trustworthy by default but i'm still always looking at it with the lens of that that organization's motivations right just like you said about people you're looking at everybody's actions based on their motivations and passions or what have you. Um, that is, it's certainly making me question the utility of, of even opening and exposing myself to all this information because it's endless and exhausting and just takes up so much of, of your personal brain bandwidth. I think I have a response to what we were talking about, what you, where you wanted to drive this conversation regarding photographers and, and the, um, journalistic aspect of what we do. And, and if people are important, anyone, if anyone is important that can pick up a camera. And I think I have a position on it now. And I think it's that everybody that could possibly take a picture or make a video is equally important as a person who was paid to do it for a living, um, exclusively so if 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 you whether you're guy on your porch who sees something happening that's been in the news or you're uh you know you're a new york times pulitzer prize winning photojournalist you're all they're all equally important and the reason is this we have to have as many perspectives on any occurrence as possible in order to see things from um different perspectives and to not see it and to see it without bias. So the only way I can see is if one, if an image, one image shows a moment in time to be 
um, in, in, in this nature of this nature in one way, I need a completely different perspective that dispels that port, that other photos bias. I need, I need both. I need something that cancels it out or supports it. So as many possible sources of imagery per any given situation, I want it all. So whether you're paid to do it or you're somebody who happens to be uh, equipped with the equipment to document something, everybody's position is equally important to keep everyone honest. Okay, so so both of us have kind of in agreement decided that everybody's important, whether or not a person is more important than a press, a professional photographer documenting something is, is kind of in this limbo area. And in general, we would just like to have all perspectives. I, I'm in full agreement with you on that. But going back to the whole original thing that got me thinking about this was me being shitty to some random person on Reddit who wanted to go document his area through pictures by, by taking photography. And he was explicitly looking to capture images of the emptiness of his city amidst coronavirus. And I remember he even described it as doing his part. And then you had your, you had your mean girls moment and you ripped them to shreds. I didn't destroy him. I, I just told him stay home. No one sure. needs your photos. Okay, I had my Mean Girls moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, all right, I'm still a little unsure on, on whether I'm right or wrong in this scenario because it's documenting the absence of things happening. I'm in agreement with you that I'd like multiple perspectives when things are happening, but I don't need to know what the mile road outside my house looks like when it's empty, when there's no cars on it. I got enough imagination to kind of figure that out. So then I'm still lost. I, I don't know. I don't know if that, that person's in the right or wrong. I can't decide. I'm trying to end this episode with like a coherent single thought and position on this, but I, I just don't know. Um, the, the whole aspect of, of it being documenting nothing happening just makes me think that it's still kind of irresponsible. You know, I'm going to... I'm just going to err on the side of like, again, we talked about being complicit in your own risk or I've talked about it a lot. Uh, and in my in my head right now, I'm like, what what's that guy hurting? Unless he goes out and contracts COVID-19 and affects somebody and somebody close to him or he dies, then, yeah, then what a, a waste of uh, life for, you know, to photograph mile marker 65 on the side of the road or whatever it may be. But I do think it is important because. I don't know how we're going to source all of these images someday and what's going to be public domain. But I like seeing photos from 100 years ago and seeing what life is like. And I would like to go back and if there was any kind of photo essay of America in 1918 and maybe I can't discern what nothing looks like or what act, what something looks like. Maybe I can't figure it. But before you complete this thought, photography had a completely different level of scarcity back then. Sure. Well, at any rate. A hundred years from now, I would like to think people would be able to look back and because we had it so well documented that there it wouldn't be that it, that it would be easy to look back and see what what was life like in you know 2020. Um, do you think do you think because it's so the imagery is so scarce that that's what makes us the images more special from 1918 versus photos now or yeah, absolutely. I think or any more any more valuable. Yeah, I think they're far more valuable. Like I, I completely this is a personal thing that I know many photographers aren't going to love to hear, but like, I don't really care about street photography, sure. it's especially of the type that is invasive to like, people just trying to like live their lives. And it's like, let me slam this like camera in your face because you, you fall in between the two lines of, of this composition that I've pre-made. I don't, 
I don't need that crap in my life. I, I don't know. I think it's really invasive to a lot of people's lives to, to like subject them to it. I think you can do it tactfully, obviously, and, and from a greater distance or whatever. But I, I just always think of those examples as the extreme of street photography. But I, I question the necessity of it when I can see a picture of any street with um and and what's going on with it on on google maps or you can look up the hashtag to that specific location via instagram and see thousands of of real people navigating that space in different ways like you can see the real culture of of life right now is for people to take pictures in front of themselves in front of something like that is the culture so like if, if you wanted to give show me an accurate representation of, of, of life in 2020 right now, you're going to show me a picture of someone taking a photo of themselves. Wow. Everything is crap. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing matters. None of this matters. We're all just self-important and we only, we only matter within the context of our own lens and how we view our own lives. And maybe a hundred years from now, somebody will look back and think that guy was worthless or that guy was per- important. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of factors in who determines what is necessary and what is important. And, you know, it just kind of makes me think like a hundred years ago when somebody was walking around with like a medium format or a full, what is it, large format camera and, and uh, taking pictures back then, what was the equivalent of the self-important selfie? Like what was the selfie back then? It, there had to have been like wasted frames of garbage photos. And the only reason we, we even care is because of the scarcity of the medium and that it's old. So is that going to exist a hundred years from now? Will, will somebody like, will the selfie be a lost expression in the future? And will they, will we look back like, man, remember when all those people were taking selfies, those idiots? Well, I mean, think about it in the future, there'll probably come a point where you'll have some photorealistic 3d model of yourself that you can put into transplant into any digital space that, may mimic a real space or maybe something made up entirely. And the question will be separating reality from what is virtual. I think those are the questions of the future. And then maybe, maybe then they'll look fondly back at a time when people could only capture themselves in reality and look at it through this lens of like, guys, that had to be there for them to get that picture. Does that make the photo more awesome? I don't know. Who knows what the future is going to hold? So maybe I'm completely wrong about Right now, we might actually be in a scarce moment from a future perspective. Yeah, maybe maybe 100 years from now, you just press a button and you take a snapshot of an entire environment and then later you interact with it in augmented reality. Yeah, oh, I, I, I mean, we're already kind of seeing that a little bit with maybe not so much the, the capture process being a simple snapshot, but I mean, we're already seeing that with augmented reality where you can kind of transplant yourself in a physical space and move around it with these goggles. I mean... Sure, in the future, it might be wired directly to your brain or put in into your retinas, something like that. But we're on some Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah, right now. <laughs> we, this has certainly gone to like, I, I'm just waiting for one of us to say it's all a simulation anyways. <laughs> Um, well, okay, let's, uh, before we end this, let's take, let's take a hardline stance. I'm going to say to everyone, anyone listening right now, you matter, your images matter and your, your photos will matter someday to other people. Sure. You don't know the weight of a photo until later. I guess you may as well snap it. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. I agree with that. You never know the importance of a photo until history has run its course. It could have a massive impact later. We just don't know. So I guess all photos are important. <laughs>